Judges chapter 16 this morning, if you would, Judges chapter 16, and it probably really sounded like a good idea in their head, and then, but anyway, I heard a story about a barber, he was cutting a man's hair, and he saw a young boy walking toward the barber shop, and he said, here comes the dumbest boy in town. Now, this has nothing to do with what they just did, it just came to mind, the joke just came to mind. But he saw them, uh, saw the boy walking, said, this is the dumbest kid in town, watch, I'll prove it to you. That boy came in there, and the barber held out a dollar bill in one hand and two quarters in the other. And he said, son, you take whatever you want. And that boy reached and grabbed the two quarters, and he left. He said, I told you, he's the dumbest boy in town. The man who's getting his hair cut said, does he do it all the time? He said, he does it every time he comes in here, takes the quarters, doesn't take the dollar. A little while later, he saw that boy, the man getting his hair cut, saw that boy walking down the road with an ice cream cone. And he said, son, i got to ask you something. He said, why is it that when you go in the barber shop, you take the two quarters and don't take the dollar? He said, sir... The moment I take that dollar, the game will be over. And uh, <clears throat> so <clears throat> that's kind of how I feel about the meeting. It's, it's kind of sad that it's getting ready to be over, and it's been good. It's going quickly. It always does. But I appreciate you being here. I know the weather hasn't been real tropical, uh, but it's good. It kept some of you dressed right. But anyway, uh, no, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just being serious. But anyway... Uh, it has been very good to be here, and I appreciate the opportunity to get to preach again today. And uh, thank you, preachers and youth pastors and workers, for bringing your young folks here. And it's a blessing. Thank you for taking time out of your lives to invest in theirs, and I appreciate that very much. If you're able to stand, stand with me, Judges chapter 16. If you have time after the services today, go by the college and see it and uh, pray about where God would have you to go. But I think this is a good one. Uh, B.R. Lakin said that he talked to a young preacher the boy just surrendered to preach, and B.R. Lakin said, well, good, now you need to go get some schooling and go get an education. And that boy said, I ain't going to need no education. I'm going to be an evangelist preacher. And uh, he said, well, all right. But anyway, a lot of folks are like that. They say, I ain't going to need any, but you are. It'll help you. I promise you it will. And uh, there's nothing wrong with knowing how to pronunciate words and amen. <laughs> Nothing wrong with that at all. But all right, if you're able to look with me in your Bible, Judges chapter 16, we're going to read verse 18 down through verse number 22. And uh, Wednesday night I preached the thought that God laid on my heart just a few days before the meeting started. And this message I almost didn't preach today because I've preached it before, not here, but I preached it at the camp, at the men's retreat. But most of you young folks weren't at the men's retreat, so I think it'll be all right. Uh, but I want God to do something for us today. Looking forward to hearing what Pastor Fugit has to say to us in just a little while and praying for him as well. Judges chapter 16, verse number 18, to the end of the chapter, or through verse number 22. The Bible said, And when Delilah saw that he had told her all his heart, she sent and called for the lords of the Philistines, saying, Come up this once, for he hath showed me all his heart. Then the lords of the Philistines came up unto her and brought money in their hand. And she made him sleep upon her knees, and she called for a man, and she caused him to shave off the seven locks of his head, and she began to afflict him. And his strength went from him. And she said, The Philistines be upon thee, Samson. And he awoke out of his sleep and said, I'll go out as other times before and shake myself. And he wist not that the Lord was departed from him. That's probably one of the scariest statements in the Bible. But the Philistines took him and put out his eyes and brought him down to Gaza and bound him with fetters of brass, and he did grind in the prison house. Howbeit the hair of his head began to grow again after he was shaven. We know the rest of the story. Samson gets his power back, and Samson brings the house down on the Philistines, and he slays more in his death than what he ever did in his life, and I'm glad for that. It's sad to see this giant for God, this mighty man of God, this judge of Israel fall. And you need to take note of that. That ought to be a piercing 
reminder and a piercing uh, challenge and warning to all of us. It doesn't matter how big you think you are. You can still fall. You never get to the point to where sin isn't going to mess with you and sin isn't going to tempt you and it's not going to bother you. Samson messes up. The champion of Israel's fallen. It looks like their hope is gone. It looks like it's over with. I can imagine the heartbreak that must have been racing through the minds and the hearts of his people as they saw Samson taken prisoner and grinding in the prison house. But I like what the Bible says in verse 22. It said, Howbeit the hair of his head began to grow again after he was shaven. For a little while this morning, I want to preach to you on this thought. I understand this is a crowd of younger folks, and uh, you have many years left to serve God. And you probably hear a lot of talking heads from pulpits and different uh, periodicals and different things like that, and they're acting like hope is gone. There's a lot of pessimism today. But I'm glad even though it looks like Samson has fallen, that the hair of his head is still growing. And for just a little while this morning, I want to preach to you on this thought. You are the hairs of his head. You are the hair of his head. Let's pray and we'll get into the message. Thank you, Lord, for the privilege to be in church today. And God, I appreciate these young men and young ladies. God, they've been uh, good uh, all these days as far as their behavior goes. They've been respectful and they've looked like Christians and acted the same. And Lord, I appreciate that. It's encouraging. And Lord, I know standing is a battle when you stand by yourself. But God, standing is a blessing when you stand with company. And I'm glad we can look around this room and see that we're not the only ones who are still standing, that there's a crowd that still loves God, still serves God. And I appreciate that. Lord, I pray now for your power. And I pray you'd work, not in somebody's head, but I pray you'd work in somebody's heart here today. Bless Pastor Fugit as he comes to preach in just a moment. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. There was a day when America was likened unto a city shining on a hill. Our country stood as a towering statue of virtue, a rising monument of hope and an edifice of decency. Where the American national anthem was sung, there was optimism. Where American soldiers fought, there was freedom. Where American values were adopted, there was morality and equal opportunity. Our dream became the dream of all who longed for a better life. The fruits of the motto that's printed on our money, in God we trust, was clearly evidenced in our society. Immigrants came to America because America offered uh, them something that no other nation in this world could provide. It was at the table of America that the world's people were fed. It was by the ingenuity and invention of America that the world progressed. There was a day when no one would debate that God had shed His grace upon America and that one nation under God was a fitting description for our country. America was indeed the land of the free. The freedom to succeed, the freedom to pursue happiness, and the freedom to worship the God of the Bible according to your own conscience. A man stayed in the White House uh, during Abraham Lincoln's presidency for three weeks. And during that time, the Civil War began. And after the Battle of Antietam, the day following, the man wrote in his diary, he walked into the president's study. And he found the president there on his knees with his Bible open to the book of Psalms. And he was praying for wisdom and direction for our nation. But I'm afraid America the Great has fallen, and she's seen better days. Our nation's gone from the epitome of liberty to an epicenter of tyranny. America has descended from being a righteous republic to being just shy of a depraved dictatorship. The American dream is nothing but distant memory for most. No longer is our country the pace setter. Now she's just another runner lagging behind in the race. The America of our hour bends to the whims of a minority and seeks to satisfy the wants of those who know or care little about the values that made our country so great. Decency is mocked. Purity is ridiculed. 
American exceptionalism is scorned. Christianity is criminal. Now the word Jesus is even unmentionable. We seem almost like a spoiled kid who opens up a piece of candy and just discards the wrapper without thinking twice about it. That's how many act when it comes to our values and the things that made our nation so great. They just toss them aside. It seems like the mighty Samson that once was America is now disgraced, fallen, hair shorn, power gone, hope gone, grinding in the prison house of its own poor choices. Likewise, much like our nation, there was a day when fundamental Christianity was a thriving movement, a giant force for truth and right. Like Samson slaying so many Philistines, fundamentalism cut low the invading forces of liberalism, modernism, and atheism. Sin was given no quarter, and revival was a regular happening. Our crowd, I mean, this kind of meeting was not just vibrant in places, but our brand of Bible Christianity was vibrant all the way across the map. Fundamental churches were the largest growing churches. Fundamental Bible colleges were the largest Christian colleges. It was the fundamental preacher that called America to repentance and spread the gospel from border to border. Doors were knocked by fundamental soul winners. Boys and girls rode buses driven by fundamental uh, servants of God. The King James Bible was the standard. Separation was just normal. Hard and fiery and fervent Bible preaching was the draw for every service. Mission fields were manned by fundamental missionaries. Fundamental evangelists held successful citywide revival campaigns. Large national and even regional conferences were held to rally the fundamental troops to keep the banner high in their area. Fundamentalism was a Samson of a bygone era. But it seems today our head has been laid on the lap of the proverbial harlot. Compromises crept in and corrupted many churches. Apathy has drained zeal from a number of Christians. Pulpits that once burned with fiery preaching are now resigned to the storage closet. Buses are parked and they gather rust. Colleges are changing and seeking accreditation to get the approval of the world to make sure their doors can stay open. No longer does fire fall on our altars. No longer does the wind of God blow through our valleys. It seems like we suffer through an, a, a, a perpetual polar vortex spiritually and it gets colder and colder by the minute. Once booming churches are now busted up. Places we once gathered to rally for the battle are now occupied by the enemy if they're not closed indefinitely. Many people would rather be accepted by the world than accepted in the sight of God. Being vogue is better than being in the book. Fashionable has replaced fundamental. I mean, who needs holiness when we can be hip? In our day, it seems that old-fashioned Bible Christianity is playing the part of Samson. The glory has departed. The Spirit of God is gone. Our hair is shorn. And it seems like all hope is lost. A contemplative step back and a season of consideration when it comes to the condition of our nation, the state of Christianity as a whole could compel us to throw in the towel. It could be enough to make us say, I quit. It could be enough to make us say, there's no use any longer. Let's just lay down our sword, get off the wall and say, you know what, let's just ride this thing out till Jesus comes. I mean, if you look in all the wrong places, you find no cause for hope. If you look in all the wrong places, you see no cause for optimism. If you look in all the wrong places, you'll conclude all is lost. But can I say, it's a crowd like this, and it's a meeting like this, and it's churches like yours and young people like you that remind me that all is lost is far from being the case. In fact, I believe there's still hope. I believe it's people like you and I, people with conviction and people with character and people who still love this Bible. I believe as long as we have folks like us, there's still hope for the hour. You see, Samson's hair was gone, but it came back again. God gave him his power back. And I believe in our day there's still potential to see, experience, and do great things for God. I don't 
think the good old days have to be just the good old days. They can be in our day. I don't believe we just have to read about it, sing about it, and wish for it. I believe we can live in it, experience it, and have it in our generation. Everybody says the dark clouds are looming. Everybody says the light's gone out. Everybody said the fire's burning low. But I have to come and tell you today, the air is still yet growing. I mean, it's still yet growing. There's still some air on Samson's head. Here in Judges chapter 16, we come to the concluding portion of Samson's life. Samson was a peculiar individual. He'd have been like some of y'all are, but uh, anyway, he was much like Samuel, later John the Baptist. Samson was an answer to a parent's prayer. He was a child born out of providence. He was a miracle on all accounts, a man sent from God. He was a person with special power from God resting upon his life. I would say Samson was probably not a giant in stature. In fact, he was probably more of a shrimp than what he was a stud. He looked like some of these fellows with the pool noodles just a little bit ago. I, I, I think they should praise God that we didn't have the, the women play against the men. What do you guys think? I mean, honestly. Uh, but anyway, you all right? Some of you fellows, some of you said amen just a minute ago. All right. Uh, I'd say Samson wasn't striking in his physical features, but he was a giant in what he did for God. Samson was born a Nazarite. He was set aside. He was separated. He was consecrated and reserved for the work and glory of God. And let me say, if you expect to serve God, God still expects you to be separated, consecrated, set aside and reserved for the glory of God as well. He can hit a pretty straight lick with a crooked stick, but God doesn't rest on a rotten limb. Say amen right there. And if you want God to use you, you better stay clean and separated. The angel of the Lord comes to Samson's parents and he tells them that they're going to have a baby. That this boy wouldn't be like other boys. He'd be God's man, the hope of his people, a judge over the nation and deliverer for Israel. Samson's life serves as a record of the power of God that can rest upon the life of a man. The Bible says that one time Samson encountered a young lion. The lion was in its prime. The lion had all of its strength, yet Samson ripped that lion to pieces just like you tear up a piece of paper. Another time, Samson battled 1,000 Philistine soldiers. And he killed all 1,000 soldiers, not with a weapon of mass destruction, but he had the jawbone of a deacon. I always want to say deacon. I mean to say donkey. He had a jawbone of a donkey. And with the jawbone of a donkey, he slew over 1,000 men. Another time, Samson was bound by 3,000 men of Judah. And when he brought him before the Philistines, he easily broke the bands asunder like they'd been burnt in the fire. Samson was a mighty man of God. I mean, what a giant for God. What a formidable force. What an impressive resume of battle. What courage. What testimony. Samson stood like a tall oak tree for God in a generation that was content just to lay down and do nothing for the cause of God. Samson lived in a day of no king and little restraint. He served as the only one who would preserve peace and preserve righteousness and protect his people. I'd say that everybody in that generation wanted to be like Samson. I could almost hear as the young boys go outside to play and they begin to bicker back and forth. Who'd get to be Samson today? Maybe one would chime in and say, today I'm Samson. Another would say, you got to be Samson last time. Today I'm going to be Samson. Another would say, you're lying. You were Samson last time. Today I'm going to be Samson. I'd say they had Samson posters in their bedroom. They probably wore Air Samsons when they played basketball. Amen. I mean, I'd say that uh, Samson was the biggest thing going. Samson's power was revered and everybody was jealous of his relationship with the Lord. He was that day's celebrity figure. He was the pace setter. He was quite the specimen, a true role model, an example, and an undeniable force for right. But in our text chapter, we join this giant for God as he's cut down to size by his enemy. I want you to hear this. Bad choices lead Samson to bad places. 
He forfeits his purity. He breaks down the wall of separation between right and wrong. He lays his head on the lap of a harlot and he loses his power. The Philistines rush upon sleeping Samson as his head lies upon the lap of Delilah. They grab the mighty judge of Israel and they begin to shear the hair from off his head. They pluck out his eyes and set him to grind in the prison house. I want you to understand something. When you make bad choices, you will reap what you sow. If you play with fire, you will get burned. And you can't play around with sin without sin sticking its fangs deep down into your life. And one of these days, you will have a reckoning hour for sin. It doesn't matter if you do it in the shadow. One day it will be brought out in the spotlight. And you can hide it for a while, but sin will find its way out. And you'll find out bad choices, bad decisions lead you to bad places. It doesn't matter how close you think you are to God. If your closest to God is no nearer than your closest to the edge And we do well to take note of Samson's life and see that all of us are susceptible to falling at any moment. Here in verse 18 and 19, the Bible said, When Delilah saw that he had told her all his heart, she sent and called for the lords of the Philistines, saying, Come up, this one's friend showed me all his heart. Then the lords of the Philistines came up unto her and brought money in their hand. And she made him sleep upon her knees. And she called for a man, and she caused him to shave off the seven locks of his head. And she began to afflict him, and his strength went from him. Samson played with fire, and now he's fixing to feel the burn that those flames were going to inflict. As this man of God rests upon the head of this godless uh, woman, Delilah, he's lulled to a lustful sleep. The Bible said that the harlot begins to afflict Samson. As Samson rests on her lap, she motions for an unidentified Philistine soldier to come and shear the locks off the head of this sleeping giant for God. B.R. Lakin said the scissors of Delilah were far more dangerous than a thousand spears of the Philistines. I can see as Samson lays asleep on Delilah's lap. He's resting there, lulled to sleep by his lust and lulled to sleep by his sensuality. As he lays there on her lap, I can see as this unidentified man creeps to where Samson is. Can you imagine how nervous he must have been? He knows what Samson's capable of. He's heard of what Samson's done. I'd say that his arm was shaking and his hand was sweating. I'd say the knife or scissors in his hand, it must have been shaking and quivering as he walked toward this giant for God. I can see in my mind's eye as this man takes that sharpened blade and he lays the razors of the seven locks upon Samson's head. What a sad scene it must have been. With each swivel of his wrist, another strand of hair would fall. I can see him as they fall. He makes a cut in the first strand, hits the ground. He makes a cut in the second strand, hits the ground. He cuts again in the third and then on to the seventh. That was pictured Samson's consecration. It pictured the will of God for his life. It pictured his separation, his office, and his power. It severed from his life. I'd say the saints in glory must have turned their faces away. I'd say all the angels in heaven must have folded up their wings and bowed their head. I'd say that God himself must have been very upset and his heart must have been breaking as he witnessed the enemies take their saw and sever the hair from Samson's head. Each strand that hit the ground would have cried out, power gone. Each strand that hit the ground cried out, glory departed. Each friend that hit the ground said, usefulness has been depleted. What a discouraging scene recorded in the Word of God. The mighty judge of Israel. He's been cut low. He's been blinded. And now he's a prisoner in the grinding house of the Philistines. Possibly the most disturbing statement you'll ever read in your Bible is found in verse number 20 where the Bible said he wished not that the Lord was departed from him. What a scary thing it is to have the form of God 
godliness and deny the power thereof. Samson was a towering oak tree for God, but he's just been cut low. Samson was a giant for God. He's just been brought down to size. Samson was a mighty mountain for God who's just been leveled. What a sad scene. But can I tell you, there's a lot of people in our generation that could be written on their proverbial headstone as well. He wished not the glory was departed from him. The power of God was departed from him. The Spirit of God was departed from him. I read this story and I see my nation represented in Samson. America still boasts of being the greatest nation on the face of the planet. And I believe that she is, but I'm afraid America has not realized yet that the cause of the blessings is about to step out on us, about to depart from us. You can't live for the devil and expect to have the blessings of God. It seems like we murder babies by the millions and we still think God should bless America and we wish not that the Spirit of God's departed. I mean, we legalize same-sex marriage and we do what barnyard animals have better sense than not to do. Amen. And we wish not the Spirit of God's departed from us. We increase our debt every single day and the next generation is going to have a bill they'll never be able to pay and we wish not that the glory and the Spirit of God has departed from us. We legalize marijuana and we shove booze down the throats of our young people. We try to idolize immorality and adultery, divorce at an all-time high, corruption in every place from the White House to your house, and we wish not the Spirit of God has departed from us. Oh, America, the mighty Samson, I'm afraid tonight she's fallen. I'm afraid today that the power is gone. I'm afraid today the glory has almost departed. But wait, I see fundamentalism here as well. I see Samson as fundamentalism as a movement. And here we are today. And I'm glad we still have a crowd like this. But can I tell you, this isn't everywhere. I sure wish it was, but it's not. I'm glad it can be everywhere again. I wish it was, but it's not. But it seems like day by day, we are another preacher drop his standards. And he wished not the Spirit of God departed from him. We are another church change their name and take Baptist off their sign. And they wished not the Spirit of God departed from him. We are about another church becoming culturally acceptable. And they wished not the Spirit of God has departed from him. They change out the Bible. They trade soul winning for lifestyle evangelism. Revival is given way to routine. And we forget that the Spirit of God has departed from us. What a sad scene this must have been for the average Israelite of that hour. They wouldn't have believed it had somebody come to them and said, Samson's lost his power. Samson's no longer on the pedestal. Samson's a prisoner been brought low. They wouldn't have believed it. They would have raked their forehead and milked their chin and racked their brain and their heart would have said, no, it just cannot be. They'd had to seen it to believe it. Had they seen that scene unfold, their chin would have been lying on the floor. Their heart would have been broken to pieces. Any slight tinge of optimism would have been gone or dulled at best. Any flickering light of hope would have been snuffed out. It looked to them like their champion was done. It looked to them like their champion was finished. It looked to them like Samson was no more. Downhill from here on out. He was grinding in the prison house. It's as though you can hear the heart of God break as you read this passage of Scripture. Can you see Samson as he stumbles blindly about? Can you see mighty Samson without struggling under the weight of the grinding wheel? Can you see once powerful Samson now bound by simple chains? Look at Samson. He's shorn. He's sorry. He's shamed in the sport of his enemy. One time he slew a thousand men. Now he requires a little boy to lead him about. Samson was once powerful. Now he's a punchline. 
He was once feared. Now he's just funny to the enemy. Samson was once God's man. Now he's the Philistine's slave. He once was the object of hope for his people. Now he gave his people no hope. The hair of his head was gone. It seemed like the story of Samson was going to end there in that prison house. But I thank God for verse number 22. Like a silver lining, brightly adorning the blackest of clouds. The Bible gives us verse 22. Samson dropped the ball. But listen to me. God's about to pass the ball back into Samson's court. Samson messed up, but God was going to clean up his mess. It looked like Samson was done. A tale told in a song sung. Just a lingering smoke where fire used to burn. But God wasn't through with Samson yet. There was still hope in Samson. Verse 22, the Bible said, How be it? The hair of his head began to grow again after he was shaven. Turn after turn, Samson made around that grinding wheel. I can hear as the uh, the wooden handle creaked and the stone would smash the meal as he made his circle pass after pass. Those hands that used to slay Philistines now they're bleeding and callous as he struggles with the weight of that grinding wheel. I see Samson. He's got to shuffle his feet. His eyes are gone. He can't see well. Turn after turn he makes. I see the Philistines never thought about Samson coming back. They never thought about Samson being restored. They never thought about Samson getting back what he'd lost all because he's made a mistake. They never thought about Samson returning to his former glory. They were having a party, having a good time. But while Samson was making turn after turn around that millstone, something was happening Something was taking place. It was unseen by the enemy. But the hair that had been shorn from his head, it was beginning to grow back. You see, Samson's hair might have been shorn. But I want you to understand something. Shorn hair grows back sooner or later. I imagine there was a moment when Samson must have felt a resurgence of energy. Maybe as Samson made a pass around that millstone, all of a sudden he wiped some sweat from his head and he felt the unmistakable prick of that stubble again. He thought to himself, can it be? Could God look on me again? Could God bless me again? Could God move again? Could God give me power back again? There is still yet hope in Samson. I can see as Samson walks around that millstone and he begins to pray. I can hear as he begins to make his prayer to God. Oh, God, would you bless me again? God, would you do it again? God, could you use me again? The Philistines come for Samson. They want to make sport of Samson. He's going to be the laughing stock of the party. They're throwing a party, much like you see on the Oscars or the Emmy Awards. They're having their party and they're all drinking and they're having a good time and they get the champ of God to come. And they want him to dance for their entertainment. I can see his 3,000 Philistines are on top of that edifices. And all the dignitaries are there drinking and having a good time as they begin to pick at Samson. Samson's seen better days. I mean, Samson had uh, some glory in the past and this was far from those days. And here they are picking at Samson. But I can see as Samson begins to pray, oh God, I pray that you'd hear me one more time. I pray you'd strengthen me one more time. I can see as Samson has that young boy leading to the pillar of that temple. He takes those old hands, bleeding hands, calloused hands from working that millstone. He takes those hands and he puts them on the pillars of that house. Samson prays humbly from his heart to God. And God looks in on Samson and his power comes back and he grabs those pillars and they begin to shake. I can see the pillars of the temple begin to tremble. I can see as Samson's hands press upon them. I can hear the cracking of the foundation. I see the shingles begin to shiver on the roof of the edifices. I hear the enemy as they turn from their Parting. They quit their drinking and debauchery. And they see that fallen hero. Now he's been resurrected. His power's been revived. God's hands on him again. No doubt they said, how could it be? No doubt they wondered what happened. No doubt they said, it's impossible. I can see as they put their chalices down. I can see as the band quits its playing. They thought to themselves, no, surely not. It can't be Samson. Samson had seen better days. Yes, Samson had lost his power. But neighbor, God wasn't done with Samson yet. Yes. 
this Samson messed up. But God is a God of a second chance. And God looked in on Samson. He gave the champion his power back. And Samson brought the house down on the Philistines. What a statement of God's grace. What a testimony of God's mercy. I mean, what a testimony of God's long-suffering. Yes, Samson dropped the ball. But God threw him the ball back. And God blessed Samson once again. I'm convinced we live in a generation where our nation's much like Samson. And I believe we live in a day when many of our movement is much like Samson. Yes, the power might be departed. The glory might be gone. We talk about the good old days like they'll never happen again. But it's you that reminds me. The hair on his head is still growing. I'm not ready to throw in the towel in America yet. I'm not ready to cash in my chips on fundamentalism yet. I believe God's getting ready to raise up another generation that'll lift high the bloodstained banner. That'll run the old-fashioned race. That'll still do what God's called them to do. Listen, the hair on his head, it's still growing. We need every single man of God to keep on preaching. We need every single youth pastor to keep on loving young people. We need every single missionary to stay on the mission field. We need all you young men that are called to preach to go out and build a soul in church. We need every bus driver to keep running their bus route. We need every school teacher to keep on teaching with love. We need every parent to keep up raising their children in the ways of God. It's not over. God's on His throne. Power's still available. The hair of His head, it's still growing. Hey, listen, don't get discouraged. Don't think about the fact that what God's done, He'll never do again. That's hogwash. That's the lie of the devil. If God's ever done it, God can still do it. My God's not the God that did. He's the God that does. You see, His hair's gone, Brother Cooper. We, we, we've, I've heard the name mentioned several times this week. I've heard Lee Robertson mentioned several times. <coughs> I've heard Jack Kyle's, I need to quit smoking. You pray for me. Well, no, I'm not ready to quit yet. Don't pray for me. I'm just kidding. I've heard Jack Kyle's mentioned several times. I've heard Lester Roloff mentioned several times. And I can only imagine some of you sitting out there thinking, who is that? You don't know who that is. And we talk about them and if we're not careful, I don't want it to get in your head that when, when we should goodbye to them, we also should goodbye to God. Because I'm, I'm not so sure that in a crowd of almost a thousand teenagers, there's not another dislike them or even could do more for God than them in a group like this. I'm very thankful for what God's done. But if I'm not careful, I'll get content. And if I get content, I'll get complacent. And I don't want to get complacent. I want to keep charging forward for God. You see, the hair of his head's gone, brother. No, it's still growing. It's still growing in the young man who's turning to preach last night. You see, the hair of his head's gone. No, it's still growing. It's still growing in the young man that's turning to preach Wednesday night. You see, the hair of his head's gone. No, it's still growing in the young people that work bus routes every Saturday. Amen. You see, the hair of his head's gone. No, it's still growing. It's still growing all the young people that sang in the teen groups up here this week. Amen. You say the hair of his head's gone. No, why don't you just look around? It's still growing in your church. Amen. People would say, Brother Cooper, don't you think fundamentalism, fundamentalism seen its heyday and it's over? And I say, no. The reason you think that's because you don't ever get out and go anywhere. Just travel with me for a few months. It's still growing. It's still growing in hollers in West Virginia. In these little churches where nobody's ever heard of the preacher before.
But he's out there loving God and serving God and helping people and seeing folks saved. Listen, he's not buying into this contemporary junk. He doesn't even know what it is yet. He don't even care to know. They're still singing victory in Jesus and amazing grace. I mean, they're still just loving sinners like we've always done. And the hair of his head is still growing. It's still growing in the inner cities uh, of America. You go in the storefront and see a young man out of college. He's going to a storefront in an inner city. And they're running buses and bringing in folks of all different stripes for their church. And they're getting saved. And they don't know who some of these giants of our faith are. They don't know who they are. But they do know this, that God loves them and Jesus died for them. And the King James Bible is the Word of God. And you say, what is it? That's the hair of his head, man. It's still growing. It's still growing. It's still growing at Circle C uh, Baptist Ranch. You go out there every summer and see young folks from all across America come. And you see them make decisions at an altar and get right with God. Man, it's still growing. You see, you're discouraged. I'm very encouraged. You say, are you upset? No, I'm very optimistic. I'm very excited because there's enough. But Listen, if nobody else in America loved God but this crowd, we've got more than what they had in Sodom. God said he'd spare it for ten. The hair of his head is still growing. Listen, I want to make three statements and I'll, I'll be through. Out of this passage, here's what this said to me. Number one, God can do big things through that which the world thinks is small. Yes. Philistines looked at Samson and said, I wonder where that power comes from. They never would have thought it came through the hair. didn't make any sense to them. But God's shown, chosen the foolishness, the foolish things to confound the wise, the simple things. The world looks at what we're doing today and says, that's a waste of time. I mean, all they're doing is they're screaming at a bunch of teenagers, playing them games, putting out eyeballs with pool noodles. One fellow came in and said, you all see my glasses? Dr. Whitehouse said he saw them fly that way. He said, man, we, we ducked. We don't know what happened to them. They don't understand preaching. They, they, they see sowing and things. That, that's not going to do anything to change America. But can I tell you something? God's chosen those kind of things. God can do big things through that which the world thinks are small. Number two, God is able to give you back what sin has taken away. Somebody might have come here today and you're a teenager and you've already messed up. Can I tell you something? Why don't you just join the club? You say, well, I've already messed up. I've already got skeletons in my closet and scars on my testimony. I don't think God could ever use me. Can I tell you something? God doesn't use perfect people. If he did, he wouldn't get anything done. Because all we have is you and you're too lazy. Amen right there. You're here today and you say, well, Brother Cooper, I've done some things I shouldn't have. Well, why don't you just come and talk to God about it? I'm glad if we confess our sin, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I'm not perfect. I'm just saved by the grace of God. Whoever you are, I want you to understand something. If you're saved, God could use your life. doesn't matter where you're from. doesn't matter if your parents are divorced or still together. Amen. doesn't matter if you've got lots of money in the bank or no money in the bank. doesn't matter if you're red, yellow, black, or white. Amen. doesn't matter if you're tall or short, skinny or... well. I mean, it doesn't matter. God could use your life. Number one, God can give you back, or God can do big things through that which the world thinks are small. Number two, God is able to restore what sin's taken away. Number three, God determines when that which man says is over is really over. I don't listen to what, what those who are backslidden, bitter, amen, and have left. Truth for error. I don't listen to what they have to say about truth. They say, oh, that's a waste of time. It's over. That, that, that's seen its day. It's run its course. That's over. Can I tell you something? It's not over until God says it's over. Amen. And last time I checked, the Word of God will stand forever. Amen. And as long as we're preaching this and standing on this and living by this, listen, what we're doing is still relevant. Right. It never, it, it messed up to try, it messed up to try to, try to make truth, timeless truth, relevant to time. It's not over till God says it's over. Listen, let's get plugged into this thing. 
let's all get on the wall together. I don't want you to come here and think we're telling you to stay on the wall and we're going to be down here cheering you on. You're going to get up on the wall or stay on the wall alongside of all these men as well. Amen. We're all in this thing together. And can I tell you something? I said it when I prayed. Standing is a battle when you stand by yourself. But standing is a blessing when you stand with company. And can I tell you something? We've got a lot here. We've got a good company of people here today. Let's just stay on the wall. Listen, you are the hairs of his head. There's still hope for our hour. Let's get plugged in and do something for God.